Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So we have been in the series of This Is Us, basically talking about what makes up Summit Church, what we feel like God has purposed and designed us to do here. And this week, I want to introduce you to one of our new core values um, on the topic of freedom. And this is something that this year we have really committed to teaching more of and, um, and also just embracing as a church. How many of you know like our world is pretty messed up? right? Like, and there's a lot of darkness and drug addictions and all kinds of things that just seem so rampant. But can I just tell you that we have hope? Like, I think sometimes as Christians, we forget that we have hope and that we can offer hope to other people. And then in the midst of absolute chaos, we can walk in freedom. And um, so today I'm going to be talking about that. And like I mentioned in at the beginning of the year, we started with a series called New Year, New Yens, and if you weren't here for that, I would encourage you to go back and watch that four-part series on freedom, um, but in February, we started taking people through our freedom curriculum, our freedom groups, and we've had over 125 people walk through that curriculum, or you may be currently going through it, and it's life-changing. Like It's life-changing for me, and I even felt so strongly about it that I I had our staff walk through it this summer together, and then we had a a Freedom Encounter Day where we just um, really heard from God and just really um, got free in some areas that we as a staff, as your pastors, needed to get free in because we know that we can't invite you into freedom if we're not free ourselves. Because then we'd just be hypocrites, right? And so, um, so I want to encourage you. We've already started our groups for this fall. But if you are not currently in a group for freedom, know that in February we'll be starting new ones. And I want to encourage you to go through that curriculum. And so today, um, first of all, I just want to thank the worship team for like just always ushering in God's presence. And I'm so thankful for them serving week in and week out. And I just feel God's presence here so strongly today. And I'm thankful that we can feel that because he's alive. Like he's not, we don't serve a God that's dead. He is very, very much alive today. And he's the reason that we um, get to do what we do. You know, often I see I see too many Christians walking around. You you may be living for Jesus. Like you may really love him. But I see too many Christians walking around with this huge weight on their shoulders. Like even sometimes just kind of hunched over because of life's pain and troubles. and, And it breaks my heart because that's not what Jesus came for. Like, he didn't just die for your salvation. He died for your freedom, your complete and total freedom. And um, there was a song that I used to sing in our church when, not I, but we as a church sang when I was little. So you may recognize it. And this is the only time you will ever hear me sing a solo. Pastor Steve, I should invite you up here because this is right up your alley in your Southern Gospel group, right? But it went something like, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away in the morning. 
okay? But then there's a line that says, just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. How many of you know that song? A lot of you. Wow. I mean, it was, it's an oldie. So I used to sing that, and as a kid, I would get freaked out by that song. Like, I'm going to fly away. (laughs) That's terrifying, right? But there's something fundamentally wrong with that song. Just a few more weary days, and then I'll fly away. Jesus didn't, doesn't desire for us to live our lives like that here on this earth. But I see too many Christians that have bought into that of like, I'm just going to be miserable while I'm here, and then when I get to heaven, everything will be great. But can I tell you, if you have that philosophy in your heart and your mind of I'm just going to be miserable, how many people would actually want what you have? Like, if you think about that, how many people have you led to Jesus Christ with that philosophy of thinking life is just going to be miserable while we're here? Nobody wants that, right? You can scare them into thinking um, that they'll go to hell if they don't give their lives to Jesus. Like, man, I mean, I gave my life to Jesus like 55 million times as a little one because I would have these preachers come in and preach fire and brimstone and you could die tonight and... But Jesus died for so much more than us not going to hell. Like, he wants us to experience heaven on earth. He wants us, in spite of our circumstances, to be free and to live joyful, full, whole lives. You know, this past weekend I went to Dallas to see, um, to support one of my mentors, and, and her husband is one of our overseers, Pastor Jim Hennessy here of the church, and um, they pastor a large church in Dallas, Texas, and Becky was having a women's conference, so I went to support her. And um, a few years ago, she brought her friend Nisha with her here to our conference. And a year before Nisha came here to our conference, she lost her son in a tragic car accident. He was only 21 years old. And Nisha was just so full of hope. Like, she grieved but the, the woman was a rock. Like, she still praised God. Like, I've never seen anyone praise God. And you know, if that's not enough, three weeks ago, her husband, who was 51, was diagnosed with cancer, and he passed away two days ago. Three weeks, y'all. And so, Steph and I went to see her at the hospital, and do you know she was still glorifying and praising God? And her 23-year-old daughter is still glorifying and praising God? Like, that's freedom. But Nisha knows that even though in her pain and in her grief, and it's going to be hard that their family of four in a matter of three years has gone down to a family of two. Like, that's hard. And, and she could be asking all kinds of questions, and, and I know I certainly am, but ultimately she's free on the inside. So she has that hope. You know, what is freedom to you? If you were completely, like if you shook off everything that kind of keeps you entangled, the chains that kind of weigh you down, what would that, 
mean to you? What would it look like for the people around you? How would it affect your family? How would it affect your friendships? Robert Morris defines freedom as this. He said, freedom is when you can respond fully to God out of who he created and redeemed you to be. And Galatians 5 is one of my favorite chapters on freedom, and so I want to encourage you to go home and read it in its entirety. Um, but Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then in the Passion Translation, it says, Let me be clear. The Anointed One has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. Man, He doesn't set us free just a little. He sets us free, totally. And I think sometimes when I have been in bondage and when I have been struggling and, and really holding on to some things in my life that are keeping me bound Jesus is like, Kim, I've already paid the price for that. Let go of it. Like, you've already won the battle. Let go. I've already won. You're already victorious. Freedom is the whole reason Jesus came. And I love this quote. It's, I have no idea who quoted it. Um, everybody quotes it now, and, but I love it, and it says, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Like, he didn't come just to make you pretty, right? He didn't come just to clean up your sin. He came to make what was dead in you fully and totally and completely alive. And in Luke 4, 18 through 19, we see that Jesus prophesies over himself a prophecy that had been spoken in Isaiah 61. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He came to set the captives free, not just then, but today. Jesus paid the price not just for your salvation, but for your freedom here on this earth. So once we realize that freedom is what Jesus does, we have to realize that we need freedom. Because <laughs> can I just tell you, pride kept me from realizing that I needed freedom in my life. Like, I could convince myself all day long, oh, Kim, you're good. That area of your heart that's kind of ugly, like, you're good. You're not as bad as other people, right? Can I just say that if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, I hope the person next to me is listening to this message. They really need to hear it. <laughs> it probably means you're in bondage, too that you're not willing to hear it for yourself. You know he wants every single one of you to experience freedom. In order to try and find true freedom, we have to realize that we are broken. Like we are humans, stuff gets stuck on us and in us. It's just gonna happen, right? Jesus promises life and life more abundantly, but he also promises that we're gonna have trials and tribulations, like it is a part of living on this earth. So sometimes we're very aware how we're broken. 
Like, we don't need anyone to point it out to us. We can see that we are broken, and we declare over ourselves we're just a hot mess. Men, I don't know that y'all really say that very much, but women, we say it a lot. But then sometimes we will never know the bondage that we're in until we're totally set free. Like, there were so many things, especially early on in marriage, when you get married, it's like a refining <laughs> right? Because they're rubbing and, and sandpapering on you in, in areas you didn't know. And so I would react to Mel in ways that I'd be like, where did that come from? But it was because of, of just stuff that it got stuck on me. And I wasn't living in total freedom. Pride always will keep you from really looking at, a, at your life and seeing the areas that you were bondage. And then I know for me, I walked in shame for so many years for the choices I made when I was younger. And if you don't know my story, you can go back to our archives and watch it. I won't go into it today, but we see that shame entered the scene in Genesis with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. So they had been walking around naked this whole time, like completely and totally free, like no issues walking around naked. Like that mortifies me. I'm really modest. So the thought, I'm like, that really is freedom, right? That I'm not encouraging you to go walk around naked now. Just know that. But once you get free, you walk naked. Um, no, you'll get arrested for that. So, <laughs> but they were completely naked. And then when they sinned, they covered themselves with fig leaves because they didn't have clothes. It's all they had. I'm sure it was super effective. But God was like, hey guys, where are you? Like he knew where they were, but he wanted them to admit, we're hiding from you because we're ashamed. And what did he do? He called them out of their shame and said, you don't have to hide. I think we can look at Adam and Eve and be like, how stupid were they that they thought they could cover themselves up with fig leaves and hide from God? Like that that would work, right? But how many times do we do that with him too? Like there have been so many times that I've done something or I've just been in situations and, and thinking that I could actually like hide from him or maybe something comes out of my mouth in the past that shouldn't and I think, oh, God didn't hear that. <laughs> like he sees all and he hears all and that can either terrify you for me, I, I'm thankful that he can see it all and loves me anyways. But we do the same thing that Adam and Eve did. You know, bondage is anything that hinders you from the fullness God intends for you. So what areas of your life are you stuck? And so many times the war is in our minds. Like the enemy really knows that if he can come after our minds and our thought life, he can win. And that makes me mad. It makes me mad that he thinks that he can win. And so the first thing we have to realize is that we have an enemy. And so you can be in the camp that you blame everything on the devil. It's all his fault. He made me do it. Or maybe you're in the camp that there is no enemy. That doesn't exist. It's all me. 
But I think we have to come somewhere to the middle and realize that we are fleshly beings but with a spiritual life. And we are in a battle. Like there's nothing more than the enemy wants to do than take you out. Like the last thing the enemy wants is people on this earth that are fully and totally alive in Jesus Christ. Because you know what fully and totally alive people in Jesus Christ do? They win other people to Jesus. And Satan will do everything, everything, anything to try to get you. And so we have to be aware of his schemes. And so I'm going to walk you through some of the things that I had to walk through in my own life years ago and that I still have to walk through because new stuff will get stuck on you, right? It's not like it's a one and done. Life just hurts. And so by better understanding how he works, though, we can be better prepared for his traps. And the first thing that happens is I really believe that the enemy launches these, like, strategic arrows at your life to wound you. It could be a difficult loss. It could be a painful circumstance. It could be abuse, neglect, a traumatic event. It could be words from another person that have been launched at you to try to hurt you and create this wound. You know, I had my master's in marriage and family therapy. I had a private practice prior to coming here. Um, And can I just tell you that I heard the craziest stories. Like stories that I was like, is this really real? Like this is a lifetime movie, this can't be real. But can I just tell you that I would see the darkest situations, the people who had gone through horrific things that they didn't deserve be totally and set free. And that is our hope. And so he launches these wounds, hoping that we will then begin to believe lies about God, about others, about ourselves. Our wounds become infected, like they just start oozing with lies about the situation. And we, we think things like, God has abandoned me too. He doesn't love me. I'm a failure Nobody cares about me. It's up to me to look out for me. Like, I wouldn't ask you to raise your hand, but I bet there's some of you that have said some of those things. I know I have. And then what happens is he repeats those lies over and over and over into our head until we actually come into agreement with them and we make them true about our lives. So the lies that he repeats become so strong that they actually become our truth. And if you were here, I don't even know when Ronnie Doss was here. He came and spoke on a Wednesday night, but he gave the, the eyeglass demonstration that was so powerful. If begin to see life through these lenses that God never intended for us to see. But we come into agreement and we begin to accept them as truth and we say things like, I'm on my own now, there's no hope. I can't live without it. I can't live without alcohol. I can't live without drugs. I can't live without sex. I can't live without the porn. I can't live without gossip. Or this is all I deserve. And then once agreements are made, we we follow those up with vows. And we say things like, I will never again. From now on, I will always I'll never let anyone control me again. But what happens when we say things like that? 
we become the one who starts controlling. I'll never let anyone reject me again. But what happens is we become the ones who start rejecting. We'll say, I'm not even going to be friends with that person because they're just going to reject me. So I'm going to reject them first. Like Maybe we don't have that thought process, but it's how it's lived out. And then we just have this false self, the self that God never designed for us to be. We have distorted views about who we are and about who other people are. We have a hard time believing the best about other people. And we just wear all of these masks to cover up our true selves. And so I want to ask you today, if God stripped you down from all of the lies and the agreements and the vows and the wounds, and he took off all your masks, who do you think he would say that you are? You know that he knit you together in your mother's womb. He had plans and purposes for you, and then life has stuck on you, and it's distorted who he initially created you to be. You know, the closer we get to the biblical definition of who we are, the freer we become. The closer we become more like him and who he says we are, that is when we get free. Ultimately, freedom is about exchanging our truth for God's truth. Because God's truth is more powerful to set you free than your stuff, than your truth is to hold you in bondage. I'm sorry, but no one in your life has the power to speak words over you that can keep you in bondage. Because you serve a God that says, no, I defeated that. And those words don't have to hold you captive. No one can do anything to you that will keep you in bondage. They don't have that kind of power, y'all. We give other people so much power. We give ourselves too much power. And we have to realize that there's nothing anyone can do that can keep us in bondage. We can be in the darkest of times and still be free. Jesus was but you know what? In the three days that he was in the grave, it says he went to Hades, he went to hell, and he took those keys. He took the, the, the keys to the gates of hell, and he said, I have won. Death has no hold, it has no sting. The third thing we have to do is we have to be willing to be vulnerable with God again. He sees everything, he knows everything, so just, just come to him. To say, God, I know you know it all. Let me repent for making my truth and the words people have said over my life, the things people have said over me bigger than your truth. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not living out my purpose for your life because I've given other people too much power or I've given myself too much power when ultimately you hold the keys we have to have a heart of repentance for making our truth bigger than his. And repentance isn't just a change in behavior. Again, it's not just about making you good. A repentant heart. Like David, King David in the Bible, I love him. I love that, man, he, like who would want their stories, like the worst of them, published in a book that is the bestseller of all time? Like, <laughs> thank you, David, <laughs> right? But David was a man after God's own heart, but he also messed up a lot. 
But the thing about David was that he had a repentant heart. He knew, okay, I have to shift how I see reality. And that's what repentance is. We have to exchange our lies, our truth, for a new source of truth. Of saying, God, man, this, this feels so real to me because I've said it so much over my life, but I'm going to begin to have a new source of truth. I'm going to go to Scripture and find out what you say about me. And also exchanging our sources of comfort that only keep us dead and longing for more into his comfort. In Psalm 10, 17, it says, Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. And Psalm 41 through 3 is one of my favorite passages, and it's been one that I have read over and over and over. And it says, I waited and waited and waited some more, patiently knowing God would come through for me. Then at last he bent down and listened to my cry. He stooped down to lift me out of danger from the desolate pit I was in, out of the muddy mess I had fallen into. Now he's lifted me up into a firm, secure place and steadied me while I walk along his ascending path. A new song for a new day rises up in me every time, and I think about how he breaks through from me. Ecstatic praise pours out of my mouth until everyone hears how God has set me free. Many will see his miracles. They'll stand in awe of God and fall in love with him. Man, you know, I know some of you in worship, you don't feel comfortable raising your hands or getting too excited, and that's fine. But don't judge someone who does. Because the thing is, is you don't know what they've been through. Like David says here, I break out in ecstatic praise because I know what you've done for me, God. And because of that, other people are going to come to know you. I want them to know you. I want them to be set free too. And I think when we've been hurt, the greatest temptation is to close yourself off, to isolate, to quit coming to church, to, to pull out of godly community. I see it happen over and over and over again. Like I can see it coming from a mile away when people start to retreat because the enemy is saying, you need to go isolate yourself. But when, when we begin to self-protect, it keeps us from truly feeling, fulfilling God's calling and purpose on our lives. We're afraid to come to God with our stuff because we're afraid he's just going to hurt us more. And can I tell you that he's good? Like, I know it because I've messed up royally in my life at times. But he's never broken me. In Isaiah 42, 3, it says, A bruised reed he will not break. He wants to invite us to come out of hiding and let, us see him, let him see us as we truly are. When we cry out to God, we have to ask him to search our hearts like you see David do in Psalm 139. And know that anytime he reveals something to you about an area of your life, he doesn't do it to squash you, he does it to heal you and to set you free. And the enemy would really want you to believe that if you go to God with your problems that he's only going to squash you. Like, when we think about it for a little bit, like when I separate myself, I think, yeah, that would be what the enemy would want to do. And God wants to redeem your pain. You know, old pain accumulates interest over time. Like there's a saying, time will heal all wounds. That is a lie. 
<laughs> and you all know it, right? You may come from a family where you just shoved things under the rug. Like, we're not going to talk about what dad did. We're not going to talk about what grandpa did. We're not going to talk about what mom did. We're just going to shove it under the rug. But what happens is those things come out of the rug eventually. And they usually come out in anger. You usually begin to react in ways that you're like, I don't even know who I am. How could I do that? It's old pain that you've tucked under the rug and it accumulates and the longer you carry it, the longer you feed it, it grows. So the Mississippi River, it starts in Itasca State Park in Minnesota and it starts as just this tiny little trickle that you could jump over. But by the time it gets to the Gulf of Mexico, it's capable of destroying towns. And that's what pain does. It might start as just this little thing but the longer we shove it under the rug, the longer we hold on to it and nurse it, because some of you in this room have been nursing your pain far too long. Like it, it's something that you have made it a part of you. And I just feel like I'm supposed to say, some of you have bought into the lie that just because you are older, this is just how I'm gonna be. That's a lie. Find that in scripture for me, where he says that, where God says that. That's a lie. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. This is not how it has to be. It's just not. Man, I want to be free so I can, so my daughters can walk in freedom, right? Those of you who are parents and grandparents, you need to be free so that your kids and your grandkids and your great-kids grandkids can be free too. Like, I want them to know these things. They're 16 and 13. I want, if they can begin to know these things now that I didn't know when I was 16, man, wouldn't they, they're still going to experience hurt and pain, but won't they won't they be released from experiencing even more? Like, we have to stop speaking over our kids that they are destined for failure and start speaking life. I, I, I can't stand it when people say, oh, your girls are teenagers now, good luck. No! Like, I can have amazing girls who love Jesus with all their heart, soul, and mind. They can go to public school, school and still be free. <laughs> That's what I want to declare over them. Transition always occurs on the inside before it occurs on the outside. Your circumstances will, may not change immediately, but transition can occur in you. In order to find freedom, it's important that you don't just seek pain relief. Like, don't just go to God asking him, just to put a Band-Aid on it. He doesn't want to just put a Band-Aid on it. He wants to, to make it go. He also doesn't want you just to seek him for the healing. He wants you to seek him, to know him, and to know him as your healer. And that's what I believe my friend Nisha knows. Like, she knows that he's her healer and that he can redeem all situations. I'm running out of time, but I want to tell this quick story of when I, when the girls were little, 
and everything seemed perfect from the outside. I had a successful business. I, we lived in our dream home. We were planning a church with my aunt and uncle. Like everything looked nice and pretty and tidy. But I really began to have like some anger issues, and that's not, like, that's not me. And I began to really battle anxiety and depression. But it wasn't the kind of anxiety and depression, like I'm sure if I would have gone to the psychologist, they would have said, here's a pill. I knew it wasn't, it wasn't something that could be cured with a pill. Like I knew that it was a spiritual battle, and honestly, I had been like, I know I'm a pastor's wife, but I'm just going to lay here all day and watch Netflix. And sometimes, like, it's okay to do that. But if you're doing that all the time to numb your pain, it's not okay. And so Mel was leaving for work, and we had gotten an argument. I was upset with him for something, and it was stupid. It wasn't anything important. I was just in a bad place, and I'd already decided, like, I'll get up and take care of Emma, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay in my bed and watch Gilmore Girls all day long. And so, I love that show. Um, but I hear this knock on the door like 30 minutes after Mel left, and I opened it. It was by Aunt Joni, who we were pastoring the church with. And it just, like, Joni is just one of those aunts you have in your life that if God isn't, like, God's going to tell her what's going on in your life. Like, does anyone have an aunt like that or a family member? Like, you know that they're, like, God's going to send them. And Aunt Joni opened the door, and her hair was sopping wet. And I was like, did Mel send you here? He called you, didn't you? <laughs> didn't he? She's like, no, actually, the Holy Spirit woke me up at 4 a.m. this morning. And he told me to come over here and tell you that I've gone through what you've gone through. And then he called me to tell you to get up, daughter. Get up. And so she sat down with me and shared her own stories of depression and anxiety. And they have nine children, five of them biological, four of them adopted. And then she handed me this book called Get Out of That Pit by Beth Moore. And there's a quote in here. It says, Throughout your ascent out of that pit, never lose sight of the fact that God will forever be more interested in you knowing your healer than experiencing his healing and knowing your deliverer more than knowing your deliverance. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know his heart for you. You have to be willing to also be vulnerable with somebody else. I had to be willing to be vulnerable with her that day. I could have totally ignored her and shut her out and be like, nope, I know that God sent you here, but I don't want to listen to a word you say. But I knew that God sent her and that I needed to admit, yes, I'm in a funk, and I, I need you to pray for me. I need to get out. We have to find people who will relate to our problem and our promise. We have to find people who will weep with us, but then who will declare over our lives the goodness and the grace of God, who will say, who will identify, no, that's a lie that you've believed about yourself. This is who he says you are. We can't just invite people into our lives that are just going to wallow with us. Like there's something about weeping with someone but I don't want someone just to weep with me. I want them to encourage me and declare promises and truth over my life. We have to also make the exchange. We have to decide to break free and make the exchange for death for life. You know that he gives us that choice. Like we get to choose if we 
choose death or life. Last weekend, we went to the conference, and Bianca Oldhoff was talking about the story of Jacob and Esau. And if you don't know the story, they were brothers, and Jacob, whose name meant deceiver, stole Esau's birthright. Like, and that's something you couldn't get back. And Esau was ticked, right? Any older brother would be. And so Esau comes before Isaac. His dad is like, like, Dad, can't you give me just some sort of blessing? Like, that was mine. Bless me. And this is what Isaac says to him. And I had never seen this before. Bianca pointed it out. But in Genesis 27, 40, it says, You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. Esau, your brother stole your birthright, and right now you're going to serve him because you're, you're going to choose to. But when you decide that enough is enough, and you decide to give it to God and break free, that stuff's going to be broken off of you. So immediately, Esau didn't respond like he should. He was... Mad, and it says that he hated Jacob. And then he planned to murder his brother. But then we see in chapter 33 where Esau decided to break free and shake it off, and their relationship was reconciled. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 147.3 says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Can I just tell you that your pain is not wasted? I think sometimes we hold on to our pain because we want other people to know how much hurt they've caused us. Or you may be punishing yourself for things you've done. There is anointing, there is power that comes out of your pain if you will release it to him. There is power in your story. Don't let all of that pain and turmoil go to waste. Give it to God and let him use it for his glory. Like I know for me, people say, Kim, I can't believe you share some of the things like your story, that you're, you're bold enough to share your story. But y'all, it's not about me. It's not my story. Yes, it was, yes, I committed the sins that I did in my past as a teenager, but it's not my story to tell any longer. It's God's story. It's his story of redemption and goodness in my life. It's about pointing people to the healer. So maybe you've battled lies and you've been set free from that. You need to tell somebody else, hey, let me speak truth over you. I've been there. Revelation twelve eleven says, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I love the story of the Samaritan woman in John 4. Jesus read her mail, like basically in a very loving way. But then she runs into the village and she says to her village who hated her, who shamed her, who shunned her. And she runs into those same people that wounded her and she says, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. He has to be the Messiah. That's freedom. Like when you're willing to go share your story of freedom with the the people that have put you aside, that's freedom. And do you know what happened? 
Not one, not two, not three. Her entire village came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The entire village. So I just want to ask you, whose freedom is on the other side of yours? God always takes the broken and uses it for his glory. Isaiah 61, again, is something that was prophesied over Jesus Christ. But when he was leaving this earth, he told his disciples, hey, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. He's going to empower you to do everything that I'm going to call you to do. Y'all, it's not in our own strength. It's never in our own strength that we do anything. And I believe in counseling. I went to school for six years so much to become one that I believe in it. But I would teach my clients these truths because I knew that ultimately no, no pill, which some people need to be on medication, there's no shame in that. But there's no pill, there's no methodology ultimately that will set the heart completely and totally free. And what we need more of, because there just aren't enough Christian counselors in the world to go around. Like, I get calls all the time, Kim, can you send me? I'm like, man, I have like two in town that I can refer people to. There's not enough. So what needs to happen is we need free men and free women to come alongside of somebody else who needs freedom and walk them through that. Because it's the power of the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah 61, well, Jesus, when he left, he said, you're going to do greater things than I. In Isaiah 61, we can speak this over ourselves. So I'm going to declare it over you today. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon you because the Lord has anointed you to bring good news to the poor. He has sent you to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified." I want everyone in here just to bow your heads and no one looking around. And I realize that some of you here today, your first step in entering into a life of freedom and to being ultimately who you have always been destined to be is, the first step is always to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never been willing to come to that place to say, hey, Jesus, I need you. Like, I can't do this on my own. Or maybe you did walk with him at one time in your life and, and you know that you need to come back, that he's calling you back. So if you're in this room today and you say, Kim, I know step one for me is accepting Jesus as Lord of my life. If you'll just raise your hand and no one's looking around. Yes, I see you in the middle. Yes, I see you on the left. Anyone in the balcony? I need to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. 
Jesus. We can all just pray this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for sending your son to die for me. Forgive me today. Forgive me for making my truth bigger than your truth. I need a savior. Help me to walk worthy. I accept your gift of grace today. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just celebrate? God is so good. And if you gave your life to him, I want to encourage you. We want to walk alongside of you. So you can text the word salvation to 555-888. You can also fill out the sheet that's in the seat back in front of you and put that on the offering box as you leave today. But we want to walk with you. Pastor Dick does an incredible class on Wednesday nights called Starting Point for New Believers. And I want to invite you um, to join that class. But for the rest of you this weekend, I just really felt like God made it clear to me that we are to let pride go. And there's something about when I do a women's event, women flood to the altars. And then we don't do it on the weekends. And so, women, I'm not just asking this of you today, I'm asking you men to let the pride go today and shake it off. So what I want everyone to do is stand. I'm gonna ask our staff and our prayer team to come and just line up at the front. And as we worship, I want to invite you, if you know there are thoughts you've been battling, if you know that, man, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you, your heart's been beating out of your chest, you know that you need to, and I want you all to come like towards the front, please, like not just to the side. Um, come all the way to the front, you guys. <laughs> um, but I want you to be willing to let pride go. Before I even made the altar call last night, a man came down. He just like, was ready. And um, can we just commit that we're going to walk out of here freer than we were today? Can we just commit that September 30th is going to be a marking point in some of our lives? It was the day that we really let go of some things that were keeping us bound. But as we worship, I want to invite you to come pray with one of these prayer team members. There's nothing special about them other than they are freed people who just want to agree with you for your own freedom. So let's um, go back into worship and invite you to come forward. Don't let this moment pass you by.